you and i are very different species it will take time for us to understand one another what is this time Space, the final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast Gimme That Star Trek. Its ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode 33 of Gimme That Star Trek, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and this is going to be a relatively short episode about my theory on the Bajoran prophets in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It's going to be short because I don't have a guest. Everyone I've approached has said, well, it's your theory, and I don't really have anything to say about it. Okay, then. But after having a long discussion about DS9 on Radio vs. the Martians, please check that out on their feed, I just couldn't hold it in anymore. It's a theory that attempts to explain how the prophets see the universe, especially their apparent linearity, despite their claims of non-linearity, as well as their relationship to both the Bajorans and the Cisco. In a nutshell, it's this. The prophets perceive time as simultaneous, the same way we perceive space. With one look, they see all of time, much as you can look at the entire room you're in. This is a useful metaphor to understand just what is going on inside that wormhole, and I'll use it often. So let's take as a given that for them, time is the same as space. What happens when something linear comes into contact with them? Well, imagine someone adding a television to your room. It's now different, both spatially and in function. Now, imagine putting a TV in your room at any point in time makes it so you retroactively always had a TV in your room. That is the nature of the prophet's existence. So, for example, they existed without knowledge of linearity until Cisco showed up, and then they were always aware of linearity. Why did they then have that conversation about linearity with Cisco? Because that was how they installed the TV. If they hadn't gone through the motions, they would not know about linear existence, and then would ask. Q paradox. Here's one question. When did they send the orbs to Bajor that gave them their colorful moniker? Answer, it's a when for us, but it's a where for them. Think of the world of the prophets, the wormhole and areas of space that they can survey from it. Think of it as a continually updating reality. They meet Cisco, and now they've always met Cisco. They send a vision to Bajoran clerics about that event in what we call the past, which for them is a perpetual present. If we could be made aware of the timeline as a single room, we would see that they put the orb on a certain shelf. As linear beings, we call that shelf the past, though the information comes from another corner of the room, which we call the present or future. Just as they've always met Cisco, they've always sent an orb that told of Cisco. So any event inside the wormhole immediately changes history. This is a crucial point. When we watch DS9, we're watching the ultimate updated reality. When Cisco reaches the wormhole, 
He's already living in a timeline that contains the orbs, the Bajoran religion, and indeed, his own mother. Yeah, we'll talk about that more later. Uh, one could imagine a timeline without all those things, but that history was changed by each successive incursion into the wormhole by us linear beings. Before we get into it episode by episode, what about the Pa race? Well, when the prophets manipulate history, it's for a reason, to prevent the Pa race from gaining the upper hand. A Pa race victory means a retroactively evil universe. When did the Pa race arise? Well, probably at the same moment the prophets got interested in linear beings. Some wanted to guide the Bajorans, others wanted to dominate them. As soon as war erupts in the wormhole, it's eternal war. There has always been war and will always be war. So we can't really imagine such a thing, a state of perpetual and simultaneous eternal war. But in any case, it would seem exiling the losing side into linear space reboots the wormhole, meaning there is eternal peace in the temple if the prophets win. As beings condemned to linearity, then, the Pares have the same limitations and powers as humanoids, and letting them back in to the wormhole, into the temple, could once again cause problems for the prophets. Eternal war, or even a retconned evil universe in which Bajorans are Satanists, and Cisco is not the emissary. Many of the measures undertaken by the prophets we'll talk about are to prevent just such a power race victory, including creating a linear champion to fight the currently linear power race. And maybe there's a timeline where the power race did win, and it causes a universe we see in uh, TNG's parallels, where the Bajorans are an aggressor culture, a timeline where their gods were always evil power race. What comes before now is no different than what is now, or what is to come. It is one's existence. Then for you, there is no linear time. Okay, let's go through The Prophet's Greatest Hits, episode by episode, and we'll paint a better picture. Uh, in Emissary, that's where it starts, the Prophets have no interest in linear beings, including Bajorans. They meet Cisco, they become interested, sending out probes, orbs, to explore the space outside their wormhole. Of course, the orbs don't all go to the same place or time, so most reach Bajor's past. Their nature means Bajorans can use them to peer through time, because that seems to be a two-way probe, and thus Bajoran mysticism is created. Since we're always watching the updated timeline, Cisco learns of Bajoran religion before entering the wormhole. Don't worry, Bajoran religion plays no real role in getting Cisco to the wormhole. The Cardassians would still occupy Bajor, Starfleet is still called in, the wormhole is still discovered in that original timeline. Now, I will mention briefly crossover, only because it links the Bajoran wormhole to uh, parallel timelines. And we also see that happen in The Visitor, which I won't talk about again, but that is to say, history in flux creates parallel timelines, the wormhole is an access to that. If you look at the prophecies about the emissary, a lot of them make much more sense with a quorum in the picture. Really? Every text I've read says that the prophets will name their emissary by calling him to them. That he would find the celestial temple, that there the prophets would give him back his life. Go on. They didn't give me back my life. Now, accession is a good example of the prophets putting something on the wrong shelf. Though a quorum lan enters the wormhole first, from our point of view, chronologically, he's still not the emissary. From the prophet's own words, he seems to have been plucked from his place in time for Cisco to strengthen his belief that he is the emissary. As the first linear being they meet, and thus the man responsible for their status as gods, etc., they choose Cisco as their champion. One of the criteria to be this champion is that he must believe he is an instrument of the prophets, 
And so we have this test. The return of a Koromlan to his time creates the only prophet retcon the viewers and even the characters are really privy to. Suddenly, his unfinished works are finished and have always been finished. Uh, that Kira is allowed to realize this change in the timeline could be divine providence or one of many temporal anomalies that must crop up around the prophets. DS9 effectively has this excuse for doing time travel or paradox episodes. You could see the future as well as the past? For one moment, I could see the pattern that held it all together. You were having a patem far, a sacred vision. In Rapture, after Sisko discovers the lost city of Bahala, the prophets grant him the ability to see what he calls the big picture. Because I won't say the future, because Sisko refers to it as more than that. He's in fact in contact with himself post what we leave behind. By which I mean his consciousness, I guess. The visions prevent him from completing his Starfleet mission, which would have meant he'd have probably been assigned elsewhere and not been present when needed to fight the Pa'Wraiths as well as been the unfortunate cause of Bajor's destruction at Dominion Hands. So once again, the prophets meddle in the destiny of both Bajor and Sisko. In Sacrifice of Angels, the prophets destroy the Dominion fleet. Where, where does it go? Did they put it on a far shelf? Is it in the back of the closet? Their only goal is to prevent Sisko from dying here, which would put the Pares back into play. Again, while this is simultaneous with everything else experienced by the prophets, linear beings living outside the wormhole can throw a spanner in the works and cause history to be changed. Sisko himself has free will. The prophets do not so much lay down a path for their emissary as see it stretching before and behind him. So they see him dying without their intervention, and they decide to change history for themselves by removing the Dominion threat. Tell me, please... Who am I? Don't you know? Tell me. You are the dreamer. And the dream. Far Beyond the Stars is the most extended orb experience ever. This is another test for the emissary in which the lesson is that Cisco is both the dreamer and the dream. In the context of his role as emissary, I believe this presages his eventual evolution uh, into a prophet himself, and that he is, in effect, also part of what is affecting his destiny. If at the end, Sisko is a prophet, then he's always been a prophet. So he's one of those actually guiding his destiny even at this juncture. He's the manipulated and the manipulator, the dream and the dreamer. This experience is transcendent for Sisko, allowing him to open his mind to such possibilities, which he will need. In The Reckoning, uh, a Pa-Wraith and its prophet Warden, exiled along with it, fight a pitched battle using Jake and Kira as hosts. If the prophets win the battle, Bajor will know a golden age. In other words, a retcon timeline in which there has never been evil? I don't know. The battle takes place in linearity, maybe to keep the war out of the wormhole. It's unknown how this single victory would have affected Prophet and Bajoran history, unless the Wraith was the the Satan who seduced all the other devils. Taking it out of history might well have prevented the creation of other race. But, you know, I, I don't know, I'm speculating. Like, why is this one so important? The Bajoran people have been cut off from their gods. Perhaps forever. How does that help us? Because Sisko has been cut off from the prophets as well. And without the prophets, he's just another Starfleet captain. 
In Tears of the Prophets, Dukat, emissary of the Pa race, releases a race into an orb, uh, so it's definitely a two-way thing, which restarts the Eternal War and closes off the wormhole. We're not suddenly in a timeline where the Prophets are uh, in a state of constant war, so perhaps closing the wormhole is a defense mechanism to prevent its influence from changing history on the outside, preserving what they've already created, Bajoran religion, the Emissaria, and so on. If the Pares win, no doubt, they will reopen the wormhole and let the universe be transformed in their image. Those are the stakes here. Now the two-parter, Image in the Sand and Shadows and Symbols. That starts the last season. This is a biggie. In these episodes, Cisco learns that the prophets arranged his birth. There are two good reasons they might have wanted to do this. First, I have to say that I'm quite sure Cisco would have been born either way, and in fact was. There is a Ben Cisco who encountered the prophets way back in that original orbless timeline. Now, but in this updated timeline, Cisco is an important instrument in the war against the Pa race, a war that never happened in the orbless universe, if my conjectures are correct. And so his existence must be ensured. One reason might be to prevent the Pa race from interfering with his birth. Since there have been at least two wars in heaven, the race most definitely have shared the Prophet's timeless existence, certainly gave them access to the Prophet's favorite shelves. By having a Prophet present at the birth, Sarah Sisko in this case, the Pares would have to win that war in order to undo Sisko's birth, which I guess wouldn't matter much anymore. The second and more likely reason is to make Sisko part Prophet, another of those necessary criteria to be their perfect champion, and indeed accede to prophethood. Since we usually see only the ultimate result of the prophet's manipulations, Sisko has always had a prophet mom, and has always been half-prophet. Looking back at the series, this has allowed him to be a natural receptor of the prophet's visions and wishes, as well as more magical abilities like those seen in Rapture. And if that makes Jake a quarter-prophet, it might have allowed him to survive the ordeal of the reckoning, justifying Sisko's faith. The Costamosian no longer threatens us. You mean the Pa-Wraith? It's no longer in the wormhole. I have cast it out. Is that why the prophets sent me to Tyree? To release you from the ore? The Costamosian tried to stop you with a false vision. But you did not waver. You fulfilled your destiny. Now these episodes also feature a sequel the Far Beyond the Stars vision, though this time it's a seduction sent by the Pares. Further proof, their place in the wormhole gives them more prophet-like powers. Sisko also notably finds an orb by digging where his baseball coincidentally fell. Of course, there's no coincidence when the ball falling and the orb being buried have a reverse causal relationship. The prophets buried it there because the ball falls there, because it's all a simultaneous experience. Now, near the end, in Penumbra and Till Death Do Us Part, the prophets warn Sisko that if he marries Cassidy Yates, he will know nothing but sorrow. They know he's destined to leave her, enter the wormhole, and become a prophet. Now, furthermore, if he has always been in the wormhole, they know his sorrow quite intimately. So they're trying to change history so that one of their own is not perpetually struggling with that sorrow. It's difficult to explain. It's not linear. What is it? My life. My destiny. The prophets saved me, Cassidy. I'm their emissary. And they still have a great deal for me to do. When will you be back? It's hard to say. Maybe a year. 
It's in What You Leave Behind that Sisko ensures the permanent imprisonment of the pirates and is taken into the wormhole to become a prophet. In other words, to have always been a prophet. And they already made sure he had the proper genetic heritage. This completes the circle, and Sisko has dreamt himself. Since the prophets experience things simultaneously, we could reason that once they met Sisko, an outside factor not part of their simultaneous existence, everything else fell into place. They went round to work, creating a Bajoran religion, fighting a war with the exiles who would become the Pares, building up their champion and welcoming him into their bosom, all simultaneously. Any action undertaken by the prophets can only be understood as a state of being and something a part of them are doing at all times since all times are now. If there's an element of linearity, or at least causality, because I think those two concepts are linked, so if there's an element of linearity in this, they learned it from Cisco in that initial meeting. Meeting Cisco caused them to start thinking in linear terms. This was the only way to effectively deal with the outside world they were interested in exploring or guiding. One last thing. One of the Prophet's most pregnant statements is, We are of Bejor. Another is telling Cisco that, You are of Bejor. What does that mean? By the end of the series, we know Sisko and the Prophets have something in common. They are all Prophets, residing in the wormhole and guiding the Bajorans. Being of Bajor could simply mean that. Another, more interesting theory is that the Prophets could be the ultimate evolution of the Bajorans. Far future Bajorans who have transcended their linear existence, uh, and you can just check out numerous TNG episodes for that possibility of humanoids evolving into energy or godlike forms, uh, and they build the wormhole, because we're told very often that it is artificial, as a place to experience this new existence. Part of that experience is the ability to manipulate the timeline and update one's own self by guiding one's past. The Bajorans dream themselves. Their own future reaches back and founds a religion that perhaps updates their present, their eternity, their future selves, to, I guess, ever heightened nirvana. And did one of those retcons maybe cause them to forget they were ever humanoid Bajorans? It's a lot to think about, uh, but it checks out. It even thematically works with the strange visions of Far Beyond the Stars. I'll let you mull it over as we go to commercial. And when I return, feedback on our previous episode, uh, in which Elise Amel joined me to discuss the Klingon Glasnost. I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And we want to ask you an important question. Are you sick and tired of other panel discussion shows wasting your time droning on and on about foreign policy, economics, and human rights? Or do you want to hear conversations about things that actually matter? We host a podcast called Radio vs. the Martians. Every month we gather a panel of our nation's finest minds and plunge a rusty prison shank into the heart of tough questions that have an impact on the lives of real people like you. Like, are drivers required to pull over for the Ghostbusters? Is the United Federation of Planets actually an oppressive dictatorship run by guidance counselors? Is Arnold Schwarzenegger secretly a genius? And are we being mean when we laugh at movies that are so bad they're good? So write your congressman and let them know that Radio vs. the Martians is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on RadioVsTheMartians.com. Welcome back. Uh, looking at feedback for episode 32, The Klingon Glasnost. Uh, in which Edi uh, Zamed and I discussed uh, the Klingons in terms of the metaphor where they are the Soviet bloc with a Cold War between them and the Federation. Um, Santarin starts us off. He says, I don't know about anyone else, but I wouldn't mind seeing a copy of uh, Elisa's thesis, uh, which she did mention, which was about um, 
speeches made by Bush in the Bush era. And it is available online. Of course, it's in French. But, you know, if you want to go through that trouble, we put the link up in the comments on fireandwaterpodcast.com for that episode. Rob Kelly says, what a terrific episode. Would love to hear more of Elise's thoughts on this subject where it relates to other pop culture arenas. While I enjoy Trek 6 very much, I have never regretted that it was the last for the original crew movies. I think a lot of the seams are showing in the movie. Some of the jokes are pretty ham-handed, the characterization pretty broad. So if they had tried to eke out one more film, I think the odds are it would have been pretty bad, and then the series would have gone out on a down note. By ending it with 6, it leaves you feeling they managed to pull it off one last time. And I guess, Rob, case in point, no one really likes what was done with the TOS characters in Generations. Tim Price says, I enjoyed the heck out of this episode. Such great observations and discussion. As if this show couldn't be more offbeat, you brought it to a new level. Thank you, Cisco and Anities. It is thanks, Tim says, thanks. I actually enjoyed preparing for it more than I thought I would, except for the prison sex shenanigans. Could have skipped that. Uh, and Tim answered her, you were a good sport putting up with the stars and the treks and Purple Blood and Yeah, Prison Sex. Oh, Kirk, going a bit too boldly. Well, speaking of going boldly, that's very close to my tagline, you know, at the end of these shows. So I will remind you that you can leave messages as well about this episode or any episode, really, by going to fireandwaterpodcast.com, leaving it there. You can also visit our Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or on Twitter. The account is FW Podcasts. So until next time, and next time is close. Uh, preparing a you know a strong start to the next season. The fr- the next episode is next week. And we're going to talk about beards in the Star Trek universe and what they mean. And uh, further on, we've got the second half of the TNG reviews. Haven't done that like in a year, so I we're due. And uh, how do we fix Voyager? That's all coming up in the fall. So uh, thanks for listening to Give Me That Star Trek. Until next time. This is Siskoid reminding you to go boldly. 